Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for September 17th, 2017. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, Exploiting Our Creativity. I have thoroughly enjoyed Moses lately. It's been a long time, I think, since I took a long, hard look at the story of Moses. It is a gift to us, so thank you for singing us into it as well. Since we are co-hosting the Countdown to Climate Change session this Saturday with the North Carolina Solutions Coalition, Russ suggested that today's service focus a bit on climate change and caring for the earth. But we're in this series on Moses, and I told you how much I'm loving Moses. And I don't recall his story and the plight of the children of Israel making their way from oppression to a land promised to be flowing with milk and honey to have much to do for caring for the earth. So what to do? So just for the fun of it, I double-checked what the text was for today, and lo and behold, it was the story of Moses parting the Red Sea so that the children of Israel could make their way across on dry ground. As the text put it, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and a wall for them on their left. And all of a sudden, I had images of Houston come flashing back to me. People wading through the streets, searching for some dry ground themselves. And then if you listen to any of the news about the recent hurricane and the ones that are forming out in the ocean, even as we sit here on a gloriously beautiful day, you will soon hear a connection between those rash of storms and climate change. And you will hear these theories disputed as well. But somehow, all of a sudden, I could see how Moses parting the Red Sea and hurricanes and climate change might have a connection if I stretch it and pray that no preaching professor is sitting in the congregation. So just for the fun of it, I googled Moses parting the Red Sea and climate change. And boom, there are actually scientifically-based articles on this topic with YouTube computerized simulation of how weather and wind could have worked together to cause this dry land crossing. I mean, who doesn't love a YouTube video to show? Now, the crossing in this simulation had to have happened in the Nile and not the Red Sea to prove that this connection is true between the story of Moses parting the Nile. But it was, the author says, a plausible route for the Egyptians, for the children of Israel to escape the Egyptians. 
So on September 21st, 2010, from Boulder, Colorado, I read this article. The biblical account of the parting of the Red Sea has inspired and mystified people for millennia. A new computer modeling study by researchers at the National Center for Atmospheric Research and the University of Colorado at Boulder shows how the movement of wind as described in the Exodus could have parted the waters. The study is part of a larger research project into the impacts of winds on water depths, including the extent to which Pacific Ocean typhoons can drive storm surges by pinpointing a possible site south of the Mediterranean Sea for the crossing, the study also could be of benefit to experts seeking to research whether such an event ever took place or not. Archaeologists have found little direct evidence to substantiate many of the events described in Exodus. So scientists from time to time have tried to study whether the parting of the waters, one of the famous miracles in the Bible, can also be understood through natural processes. Some have speculated a tsunami is what happened, which could have caused the waters to retreat and advance rapidly. And I've heard some suggest that, you know, you, we saw pictures of the hurricane sucking, uh, Hurricane Irma sucking up water out of the ocean and making dry land. But a tsunami, the researchers said, would not have caused the gradual overnight divide of the waters as described in the Bible, nor would it necessarily have been associated with winds. And there was a big wind in the story. Other researchers have focused on a phenomenon known as wind setdown, in which a particularly strong and persistent wind can lower water levels in one area while piling up water downwind. Wind setdowns, which are the opposite of storm surges, have been widely documented, including an event in the Nile Delta in the 19th century when a powerful wind pushed away about five feet of water and exposed dry land. People have always been fascinated by the Exodus story, the researcher said, wondering if it comes from historical facts. What this study shows is that the description of the waters parting indeed has a basis in physical laws. So let me get this straight. There are people who have dedicated their life's work to that. I mean, like a whole project to prove this could have been actually caused by the weather. Wow. I just took it as a story about an image of a guy scared, self-doubting, self-deprecating, excuse-making Moses trying to help God's people reach the other side. Isn't that our calling? To find creative ways to help God's people reach the other side? To find creative ways toward freedom and opportunity and when I read about that wall of water on the right and that wall of water on the left from the Exodus story, I pictured Houston and Miami and even downtown Charleston with walls of water coming into their city. And even when dry land finally comes, they are still looking for that real dry land that's free of mud and muck and mold. 
And I think that's why people are so generous in times like these. God calls us to hear the cries of the people and to see the woes of the people and to do something about it. So we donate money and supplies and we begin talking about taking a trip or two to get our own hands dirty to bring some relief. And if some of the scientists, dare I say many scientists, are right, and these walls of water will become more frequent and more severe because our planet is taking a beating from our abuse of it, then the images we have seen of late will become more of the norm, giving us more opportunity to help people in need, I guess. Of course, those scientists could be wrong. But what would be the harm in caring for the earth anyway? Because it's just the right thing to do no matter what the scientists say. The Living Pulpit is a journal to help with the preaching task. So I pulled out the April 1993 edition of the Living Pulpit that was entitled Earth. In it, the editor said, for all too long, the Christian pulpit has neglected the earth on which it is constructed. Our sermons have focused on the love of God and one another, on the Ten Commandments, but there was no eleventh commandment that said, reverence the earth that sustains you. Not only for our own preservation, but even more importantly for a Christian relationship with the environment, which a, God, a creative God saw was very good. We who preach, the editor says, and the people to whom we are privileged to preach require a literally earth-bound spirituality. As we destroy the earth, we destroy ourselves. We can relate to nature in two ways, he says, by appreciation or by manipulation. Western societies have chosen manipulation with disastrous results. We have moved, as one rabbi wrote about it, from wonder to plunder. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, among others, has called us to a proper stewardship. We must be loyal to the earth, he says, if only because we are a piece of the earth. 1993 was when that was written long before an inconvenient truth hit the theaters. Albert Frisch, who's the executive director of Appalachia Science in the Public Interest, he's written a book called Eco Church. He says that ours is the first generation that is aware it can harm the earth to such a profound extent and we are the first generation to understand more fully that we can assist in saving it. As free beings, we can choose between good and evil. We have the power of harming earth, and as responsible beings, we have the power to heal what we have harmed. Another way to say that is that we have the power to be the Moses figure in this story with people, and with the earth. High waters should not stop us or overwhelm us. 
High winds should not hold us back. The whole story of Moses was given to us, I think, to show us about unlikely leaders who are full of their own insecurity and how they can do unbelievable things that affect nature and humanity. So here's the best example I can give. Who would have thought that a young girl growing up in a poor rural town in Cuba would get baptized by an American Baptist pastor in a muddy little lake in the middle of nowhere Cuba when the girl was about 14 years old? Who would have thought that the young girl would become such a vital church leader who would have thought that she would have been a large part of holding a church together when the pastor left? Who would have thought that she would go on to seminary and be supported primarily by one of our own in our church? Who would have thought that she would get a great job at one of the largest fraternity of Baptist churches in Cuba? And who would have thought that she would now be instrumental in helping put Cuba back together again after Hurricane Irma destroyed so much. Did you hear news meteorologists say things like, thank goodness it hit Cuba so that it made it easier on Florida? Somebody needs to help them write their script. There is no thank goodness it hit Cuba to make it easier on us. But Marcella, the young girl turned young woman that I tell you about, wrote an email to us this week, and this is what she says. Until now, we know of about 10 casualties due to the hurricane in Cuba, mostly in Havana. Notwithstanding the sadness for the human losses, the deterioration of places, the challenge of an even more impoverished economy where prices will go higher, I think we can say Ebenezer, which means God helped us until here. I have faith in the mercy of the Lord towards Cubans. It was a really powerful hurricane and losses could have been worse. As Cubans, we have been a resilient people throughout history knowing how to do much with less, exploiting our creativity. This won't be the exception. I love the way she translates her Spanish into English, which is like a thousand times better than I can possibly translate the other way. Exploiting our creativity. We know how to do much with less, and we know how to exploit our creativity. Those may be two of the best lines I have ever read about caring for the earth. Knowing how to do much with less and exploiting our creativity. What if we decided to exploit our creativity with solar farms? What if we decided to buy in 
like literally and figuratively, if we decided to buy in and exploit our creativity to care for the earth, it would be a jobs creator for sure. But what if we exploited our creativity for clean water and conserving energy and planting trees and doing all that we could do to care for the earth and all of her creatures? I challenge you to exploit your creativity as an individual and speak out and encourage others to do the same thing. Moses exploited his creativity when he made a way for the children of Israel to a promised land of freedom and hope. This is our job to make a way for all of creation. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you. Thank you.